really quick. So what we what we did, what we've kind of done with these, these are the Let's Chats, I guess, series. I don't know. I think we could officially call them that, um, which is kind of it's kind of fun. We just kind of get a get a chance to just kind of sit down and just just really chat. Um, so on this one, what we're going to be talking about is the concept of like character development and maybe maybe even some world building, but also like where the like just basically the underlying structure and maybe even some psychology of uh what makes interesting characters and i'm sure there's going to be some tangent conversations about other things but uh real quick to kind of give everyone just a really informal introduction because i know half of the people on here you guys might not be familiar with who's listening um we have with us I, I'm just going to call you guys by the names that I know you. Uh, so Inver, uh, that's going to be Josh. And then we also have Cole. Um, and starting with Josh, I'm going to just kind of say, why should I trust anything you say about well. character development and psychology of personality? Because I don't know you. I've never met you in my life. Such lies. Such lies. <laughs> I know. I even know where you know him from at this point. <laughs> But yeah, so Josh, what what is I guess what's your what's your introduction or what's your kind of how did you get into the concept of character development and what do you uh, what's what's kind of your interest in that? Uh, well, so I did a lot of um, work from the psychology um, that ended up in a lot of studying Carl personality uh, theory. Um, I ended up writing uh, uh, personality types uh, role playing games. Um, so that kind of happened. Uh, so I guess that's, that's, so yeah, cause I know that was, that was in college, right? We, you wrote the thesis about the archetypes with role-playing games. Um, that was for, and yeah. then I know you did, what did you, was your master's in a similar concept or was that just, so, yeah, that was my master's. Oh, sorry. That was your undergrad. master's. Your, your undergrad was the comics. That's right. Yes. Um, superheroes and how they just about society i'm all about cultural stuff like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and cole what about you what what got you into like character development world building stuff so way back in the day i used to build role play simulators for an online grid called second life um i would build it uh, pretty much like bit building a video game level. So the structures, the scripting, the, t- the textures, pretty much what you see in like or just a regular video game level. I learned how to do an, an upload to this virtual grid, which is 3D. Um, and not only would I build the worlds, but I'd write the factions, the backstories, the NPCs, the barks for the NPCs, pretty much just make a video game for clients. Um, and then once I've got behind the times because they switched from one system what the heck spotify is it It, having troubles listen to music listen to me it just told me to shut up because i was speaking for more than 30 seconds wow (laughs) what the heck uh excuse me (laughs) anyways um i don't know why it's doing that i don't know how to turn that off but whatever um but yeah, so I built used to build full-on simulators, and once I fell behind the times of what the systems were being used, I just switched over to actual novels. 
which were all self-published on a website I used to have. And I think I've written up to, yeah, I've written three Destiny novels, six standalone novels, uh, did world building for 17 different universes, and now I'm working on my next standalone novel. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. I've done a lot. (laughs) And I saved the best for last. Green. Right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't... As far as, like, character building, like, I've done DMing and stuff like that for Mm -hmm. games and done that that angle of things. I haven't done any sort of world simulators or anything crazy like that, (laughs) but I I do run a pretty popular RP account for (laughs) a Destiny RP... Um, I run Petrovenge, everybody. If you haven't already figured that out, um, been on a bit of a hiatus lately, but so I don't know as far as like legit, you should listen to me, but I, I can do some things. <laughs> I can figure out stuff. I, I can, can do things. I can I connect, do things. I connect the dots. Uh, I make, I make good stories. Hey, that's, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. But so I guess I'm going to really just kind of, I mean, this, like I said, this is kind of a, a unstructured one. Um, so I don't, I don't know really where you guys want to start. I know, um, I know both you and, or Colton and Josh were both really excited to get a chance to get on and chat about the topic, but I didn't really have, um, I'll be honest. I didn't really have a game plan because I was like, all right, let's chat about stuff. <laughs> so I guess these turn into yeah, that's ninety percent of the time. That that is kind of what happens. But um, I guess one question I've always kind of you know I always hear and I always kind of get caught up in is what makes characters what what hooks people. You know, I know with games like with Destiny, obviously, um, sometimes the characters we we kind of gravitate towards characters who are. Uh, much more complex such as you know Cade even with Eris a little bit you know the ones that are not as 2D even though that's becoming thankfully that's becoming more um or less popular Rare. Yeah. um but like with first person shooters especially i think you know it's difficult to kind of give characters that give that connection whereas with you know we were talking i i was talking about the tomb raider series before we started and how like the characters just really hook hook you, and I think that's a strength with single player games. But I was curious: do you, is there? I know there's some psychology behind the character de- like design, um, but do you guys have any insight or any thoughts on you know what what makes it for an interesting character that would actually make connections with people? You want to start with Cole? Yes, Cole. that sounds All like right, a plan. So- what I have found is that people gravitate uh, relatability so they can relate to the character anyway, see a part of themselves in them. That's who they really latch on to because now they're sort of in that universe uh, with something like, I don't know, you're saying you're playing Tomb Raider? Mm-hmm. I well, I, that's not even a good example because I've never played Tomb Raider. Um, <laughs> pick, pick, pick any, pick any solo RPG. Skyrim, and I probably, yeah, Skyrim, ESO. Elder Scrolls, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, Mass Effect or, would be a good yeah, one. Yeah, Mass Effect is yeah, that is actually a really yeah. good one. So with Mass Effect, you are Commander Shepard, and people who have played the Mass Effect trilogy—I'm just talking the trilogy, not including Andromeda—you 
people who play these games, they want to explore the universe. They want to go on these great adventures and going on different planets for the first time that no one else has. And when you initially build that character at the selection screen, whether you're in the first one or the third one, you have the ability to choose one of three backgrounds, but the backgrounds are actually very vague, but they're relatable in some way. So like either your parents were military or you were an orphan and grew up on the streets or, um, I can't remember what the third one was. I always picked orphan for some reason. Um, actually, I do know the reason. I am an orphan. So, yeah, that's why I chose that background. Mm-hmm. Um, but people want to see themselves in these characters because video games, movies, what have you, is a form of escape. So, um, it's like Mass Effect. People really connected with Commander Shepard no matter what the character looked like or what background they chose because they are that space explorer. Now, with destiny it's a little bit different because even though we have the backstory of yes you woke up just outside uh, the wall or what used to be the wall um, and you're being chased by fallen so many people and it's probably millions upon millions of people have created their own backstory and their character was res somewhere else Mm -hmm. and that's what one thing I know why the Destiny community has exploded the way it has is because people create these stories inside their head. And so they're not a player sitting there in the chair. They're actually their guardian and they have this huge long backstory. And some people connect their backstories to other actual players. And I think that's one reason why we connect so well with the characters we play is because we put a part of ourselves in them. I have okay. some follow-up questions that at some point I want to get to with that as well. But yeah, because I want to give I, Josh a chance to. Yeah, I, and I have a question regarding that too as well. So, but yeah, agree, Josh. What do you, do you have any? Well, so I guess my feeling of it is from the opposite. Like, like with like I love I love this, but I don't really have like I have strong feelings about the different shepherds that I've played, but I have those feelings because of the the relationships that I had with the party members through Shepard. Um, like I got a feel for how I wanted to be as my um, epic romance with Garrus or um, my fun drinking times with Tally. Like it's, I don't know, like for, cause I also have this problem with um Like I didn't get as into Skyrim because I felt like I didn't have a mm-hmm. whole lot of that connection with other, with any, pull me like there was just me and my head can as far as what i was doing and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. along with all of the quest narratives and everything but um i really need those other interactions understand my place so having those really strong reactions to have um strong memorable moments with those characters i don't but that's that i'm not sure how necessarily that's like what the formula there is for that but you know, that's 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 how i find myself relating Okay, so would that make it easier for you to enjoy Destiny? Because pretty much our character development is our interactions with the people around us. Not necessarily, yes, we have all these adventures that we go and do, but you're constantly interacting with the Vanguard and various uh, entities, beings, enemies, whatnot. Does that make it easier for you? Like, do you play Destiny? I actually don't know the answer to this one. And if... Uh... If not, what is there a specific reason, character-wise, for it? Well, for for me at least, I don't I don't play Destiny, but that's just the console issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, 
in terms of my like MMO kind of experience, like I I was big into EverQuest, um, and like part of it was I don't know there like I don't know it kind of had like a there was a lot of like land PCs, but then there were also like built in very um, very very storytelling massive narrative the quest and just having the interacting combined with like interacting with other guilds that I was like that that helped while I wasn't like on a role like that mm-hmm. that we haven't uh, who my character was like what role both like mechanically but also within the narrative cool what about you does what I know you connect with your characters in Destiny <laughs> so yeah. uh, what makes it easy for you to do that like is it something the mechanics of the games or is it just the adventures that we end up going on or is it just a self-created um connection it's mostly self-created um because i'm actually really unhappy with how destiny starts you as a character um i actually went back one day because i was really bored at work and i rewrote every single d1 vanilla cutscene, including what was it four extras because I had two for resurrecting as a certain class. Mm-hmm. And then when you meet Mara, whatever race you were, there was a different scene as well. Um, so really for me, I forgot what the question was, but now I'm going to go on a rant. Um, connecting the character to myself. Um, it is a form of escapism for me and I love exos quite a bit. But there's no real nah. information on them. Yeah. Nah, really? No, I love Exos. They're fantastic. Oh but uh, <laughs> They're really good at picking up moats, I hear. Yeah, you get that suction butt going on, you know, just vacuum it up, you're running along. It's great. I was going to say, trying to segue that to saying Beard yeah. is here, but I don't want to go, hey, speaking of suction butt, Beard is here. <laughs> I was going to say I feel attacked. <laughs> now I feel assaulted. <laughs> because I didn't say it or because I did? Because you, you did. But that's, that's you know you love it. You know you love it. Right. Anyways. Okay. Um, but because in D1 there was so little about the Exos, despite having to grow more cards and all that, I wasn't happy with it. So I did create my own story, which then got fan art and then got three more installments and now people call me an actual literal wish dragon and yeah so (laughs) yeah it's a thing now but yeah so when i log in to my hunter because i only have the one character that is me in the game so like if you ever watch my streams i'm actually reacting to cutscenes and characters it as my character, not me as a player. It's actually really entertaining and fun. I guess. I guess some people like it. But um Yeah. Yeah. A bit. <laughs> Cole yeah, so- and I are actually planning on doing a stream based off of that essentially, or like a recording of us as our characters, more so yes. than anything. And voice acting through the campaign is gonna be fantastic. Yep. But uh I went off on a tangent again, but I guess that's why we're here. But yeah, so being able to relate to the character and be your character is extremely important to me just because if you're not there to go on an adventure as whatever character you're controlling, then why are you there? That's just my question. Like, why are you there to play video games if you're not going on an adventure? Some people just do it purely for the competitive aspect of it. Well, yeah, I did that with Halo, but you know what I mean. Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, but I mean, even I mean, with Halo, though, that you get people who jump in there, 
And yeah, I was actually I was actually going to say what was really interesting is you had the uh, conversation about, you know, the um, immersion and wanting to explore open worlds and new worlds and all that. And I was the, the thing that popped to mind immediately was No Man's Sky, because mm. No Man's Sky is literally a blank slate. Like it, I mean, it really is just completely no, uh, no explanation, no anything. And, you know, I think it was interesting because some people really like, I absolutely love it. Um, I absolutely just can, it's one of the most relaxing experiences I've had. And I, but I know other people who are just, they were, they got really upset by it. Um, and so I just thought that was an interesting uh, comment that you made because that was, like I said, that was immediately what popped to my head was the difference between like Mass Effect, uh, Skyrim. You know, Josh, you were talking about Skyrim not having that that structured NPC uh, interaction, which I totally, totally understand and can I can also kind of respect that. But then you know, then there's like those three extremes. There's the Mass Effect, which to me seems a little too linear in a way i don't know if that makes sense um and then there's skyrim which i enjoy because it's much more open world and then there's no man's sky which is just absolutely no structure at all um but i yeah like i said i don't really have anywhere i was going with that but that was all (laughs) that's what's fun about these there's like no there's no pressure for me to to connection to anything which is why it's dangerous beard do you connect to your characters when you play you mean my whole one character that I have? Yes. Your whole one character? Well, I mean, I, I guess I could say the same thing. I only have one character. Yeah, I only no have shame. my one. I'm going to say I I only play the Warlock, and I think that there's very good reason for that between the time I take outside of the game and whatnot. I mean, we talked about this, I think, in, in terms of, like, uh, if we wanted to relate anything back towards, like, uh, story or whatnot as well, but when you choose a character class... It really does feel like that character class fits you closer mm-hmm. than it probably should. So, like, the Warlock's personality is just me. Uh, Asher Mary. And I, yeah, yeah. Inevitably. Um, and I... <laughs> inevitably. Uh, I would uh, I would easily say that that's the case when it comes to me. I uh, I don't know. I, I totally get that some people just play the game and go, well, I'm just min-maxing and that's it. Uh, right. I did that back in the day with World of Warcraft. Uh, I am very over that because the there there's there's different ways that you can go with things. You can sit and enjoy a game for its competitive aspects, or you can sit and enjoy the games because it's going to immerse you, and that usually also carries down into things like the story as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that's what I lean towards anymore is more looking for a better story. Uh, and to plug the video, I just came out with uh, one today with a semi-clickbait thumbnail. Then, then you go ahead and read the title, and you're like, "Oh, never mind." Um, but it says "Destiny." It's dead. Why talk about it? Uh, but it's me basically stating, you know, this is why I still love Destiny, and why you know storytelling as a whole is one not simple, uh, and two because other uh, games have yet to really catch my interest near as much as what destiny has right. uh, the overarching elements that it has and everything else so like that's that that's why like the warlock class in general i have a reason for saying this long tangent i am that's why it still kind of appeals to me to this day from playing it since day one and still basically being a nova bomb main since mm-hmm. day one 
uh, I, I'm playing the same thing over and over. doesn't affect me because it links with me. It I get just, that. Yeah, in, in general. I'm pretty, pretty I'm, much the same there as well. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting for something else to grab me, and nothing has. And I think that is a, a testament to either what it is that I play uh, in terms of like the Warlock or what it is that Destiny is as a whole for me. Uh, but then I can I could say the same like I don't stick with one set of weapons or anything either. Like I tend to switch those out fairly often. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm flexible in that right. I, I still like to experiment with different things and sort of mess around with different equipment and whatnot. But if I'm if I'm stuck with at least one thing, it just feels like every time I try the Titan or the Hunter, it just does not feel right. We feel the same about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every time we try a Titan or something, we just always come back to Asher Mirror. So, I mean, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Beard does have a point, though, because when I originally started Destiny, I started as a warlock because I thought they were pretty. Like, oh, yeah, I want to be a space fairy mage thing in third... Oh yeah, my god. Beard. Beard. Beard, yeah. I am using that in your introduction. <laughs> You're our best bud, the space fairy. Yes. <laughs> the space fairy mage. Yes. I, but... I hate you all. Happy <laughs> beard. I go down these I go down these like inspirational tangents and then I just get smacked with this kind of crap. You know what? This is on the same level of Ashamir getting stuck with two hunters in his god fire team. You all suck. And you know what? You're all gonna die anyway because you're all the hunters in this scenario. I don't care about losing an arm. <laughs> I can't die, Beard. I still voiced your ghost, so technically I'm still your ghost. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. It's Mm -hmm. it's all right. I'll just be like Shin Malfear and replace you. (gasps) Oh. (laughs) Burn. (laughs) My little ghost show hurts. Destiny smack talk has never been so interesting. You know, Beard brought up an interesting point, though, about the archetype or the personality type that kind of drew him into it and has stuck with it. I know Blue is kind of the same way. Blue and Mm -hmm. I both, we both gravitate towards hunters for various reasons, I think. I don't think we had the same reason for it. But That's probably a a safe assumption. Yeah. The archetype, though, the archetypes of personality, it's an interesting discussion to bring in because we have three archetypes in Destiny, whereas in other games, you have multiple multiples multiple play styles built like skyrim's a great example you have anything from khajiit to argonian and yeah but wood elf and but their like play even styles then, their play styles more than like personality archetypes i would argue like with yeah. with skyrim the i would argue is, though, those are like with Des- i guess yeah because yeah. destiny the only reason we have personality archetypes is because we have others that we're tied into that's if fair. you like you think about khajiit Khajiit mm-hmm. are known as kind of the ruffians that are trading and whatnot. Khajiit is right? innocent. Khajiit is innocent. I yep. Khajiit's my favorite race to play. <laughs> it's the one that I always play. But um, look, as long as you're not playing a high elf, I'm okay with it. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I won't. I won't judge you unless you play. Then, then you're a Nazi person who needs to get shot in the face. Anyway, if you play a high I elf, have, I have a strong feeling about high elves. <laughs> I'm glad I'm Argonian then. Jeez. Oh, Argonians are awesome. Blue. 
Oh, oh. <laughs> you never. Yeah. Just go watch some of the Skyrim playthroughs. I go. I'm, I mean, I'm, that's like one of the races that I actively would be like, oh, hey, look, he's five miles away. We're going to walk that way and I'm going <laughs> to chase him. This is there. There might be reasons that I oh, just yeah. never got into anything. Elder Scrolls. No, I I never connected you did with well. anything. Well, yeah, I that's, did well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very true. Like I, I know that, I've that was your Elder Scrolls, basically, because I I played that for like nine years off and on to begin with. Uh, the only difference is one had a subscription fee and the other just stole your life. Mm-hmm, no, wait, mm-hmm. they this all stole your life. <laughs> yeah, it was a subscription fee of years, not of time, not money. But I'm I'm curious how much the archetypes like are universal throughout games and just in psychology in general because I know that that's well, kind of actually in my topic. Green, yeah, Green. Actually, I'm I'm looking because I have notes because I did actually write an, a couple articles about that and those are actually mm-hmm. up on the Lore Network. Um, nice. So well, to to jump in on that too. Yeah, like, go for it. On like Anthem and Warframe, mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. of them kind of have the same ideas that have sort of uh, popped up. Because you, yes, you you had like Battlefield. I think kind of started a lot of it with like the medic or engineer class, if you will. Yeah, uh, and that sort of starts some of the mentality ideas or personality ideas. But then you see Destiny uh, or Warframe, which I think micromanages the personality ideas a little bit further. Yeah, uh, I would say. Yeah, got, I like, would say it a little bit further. Is I would argue, especially with the frames, yes. the way mm-hmm. that they kind of build themselves for sure. Uh, but then you've got Destiny and Anthem, which are very like you. You've got the Ranger that's like you know Guile or or Guile's theme, where it goes with everything, or, or Ryu, however you want to say that or balance it. Uh, but then you've got the other three that are mixed in with it, and they are like very different in terms of their overall play styles the and colossus so and yeah okay, storm so the, the riot shield and you've got the magic user and then you've got the thief uh <laughs> and then you have the the standard warrior assault type that runs around and just goes blam blam and i'm fine i like you know? the blam blams let yeah. me interject as someone who's written over 2000 jokes based on purely archetypes <laughs> you don't have any experience in this Oh no, no, none at all. None I don't. All. I don't think. I don't think I need your opinion yeah. on this. They don't need my opinion on this. How would you shut think... up for a second, Space Fairy? <laughs> <laughs> Dang. I We're knew... gonna put that mature rating need... on. MFB we line. need. Uh, we need to have her back on. Um, <laughs> I mean. I mean. Look, she's another you hunter. Get, I you am. Get Cole and I in the same room. Oh, it's awful. We get fired up. It's awful. It's... Oh yeah. It's definitely Leave. the warlock screaming at the hunter, and Ikora is just off in the distance, going, "Dear God, please shut them up." <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, basically. Yeah, but anyways, sorry. So, do all of you really stick to the same type of role and play style with with Can- all of the games that you kind of play? Yes. No, no, yes, that's the hilarious part. <laughs> I don't play warlocks or mages or anything similar in any other games. Destiny, I don't know what it is about it, but I play the, the, the caster type, if you will. Any other game, I play the rogue. I know Any why, other game. I know why. Why? Because the bathrobes are so comfy. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking more because of space magic, but sure, okay. <laughs> the bathrobes are really comfy, though. Yeah. I, I mean... 
I mean, Ada One does craft them very well, so sure. Uh huh. That's your girlfriend, now, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 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 But uh, Green, you you had made the comment about the three personalities of or the yeah. three archetypes, and um, the way I kind of to kind of go back to that, the way I look at it is the class is kind of like the dichotomy and then the subclass within destiny's world, the subclass is kind of your mindset or your temperament within that dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, if you look at the concept of dichotomy, and this is probably going to trigger a long conversation on psychology, but knowing full well that I'm going to continue. Um, if I guess you look I'll at, just mute my mic then. Yep. Yep. Here we go. All right. So if you look at like dichotomies in general, um, you kind of have really, th- depending on the, the groupings that you look at, it tends to gravitate around three. Uh, those are the honor, shame culture, the fear, power culture, and the guilt, innocent cultures. Um, and if you look into those, and this is actually what those three articles that I wrote were about, if you look into those three dichotomies or those cultures there's a lot of connections to be made for the three classes that we see in destiny um the titans are definitely the honor shame culture um your fear power culture i believe was the warlock i want to say um and then the guilt innocence or no guilt innocence was the um guilt innocence was the uh Oh man, I just blanked on which one was which. Honor and shame is Warlocks? the Titan. Uh, honor and shame is the oh, is okay. the Titans because if you look at the description of Titans, they definitely align. Like you know, you take into like Code of Chivalry, the Bushido, uh, the the Knights Code, all those things. That's definitely heavily influenced on the Titans. Um, if you look, sorry, I'm flipping through my my notes here. Um, if you look at the hunters, you'll see a lot of reference to, I think it's the guilt or the fear power because they talk about, um, nope, that's a snapshot notes. Hang on. Sorry. This is what happens when I go on tangent conversations and I'm not planned on it. Um, I, oh, just pass it. Here we go. Sorry. You can probably hear me flipping through these as a good warlock does. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny that I play a hunter sometimes. Um, but, like, the, the connection... I mean, at least you're a hunter I could talk to and you yeah. want to just, like, pick your nails at I try, I try. <laughs> I try really hard. Um, I don't know, that's... that's the... I'm Carabone, you'll make the wrong wish. Josh, did you have a, something you wanted to say while Blue is getting his notes pulled together? Well, I was just thinking... Um... Like, the, the major... So, I haven't had, like, a major ongoing video game that I've been playing for the last couple of years, but I've been this. Um, I, the bar that I go to has this uh, bar campaign that's... Uh, we're on campaign three. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I've... I, I don't know that I consciously made an effort to play something different each year, but I noticed that I have, and that your games that I've played ended up in those same roles. Like, the first year, I, I did the mage thing and was the support caster in the other game that i played while last year i uh, i was the main healer for my group and ended up playing a bunch of clerics and similar kind of sit back and heal other people and let other people do their thing mm-hmm. other games that i played and this year i've somehow found myself <laughs> in a tank role which is kind of weird and uncomfortable for me but also like feels like all powerful and awesome blue um, says you 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 sacrificed people 
He's like I mean, calling you out in chat. I mean, <laughs> I love that. I love that. I mean, <laughs> hey, I play healers. I've played healers in like role play games too. I get you. Sometimes they just got to go down. It's for I the mean, betterment uh, of everyone. It's, yeah. It's, wow. It's risk management, and sometimes some people don't need to be saved. <laughs> Yeah, but I distinctly remember plant monsters being involved in one of them and a sunlight spell. Did you get eaten by a Venus flytrap? No, no, he did not oh. get eaten. <laughs> no, well, I meant you. I I oh, no, no, it wasn't me. I get I get the stories told to me. This is sounding very Diablo-esque. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> it, it was a Tomb of Annihilation game and I wandered off. Oh. <laughs> I wandered off. <laughs> Let's just wander off and supposedly heal people, but really we're just killing them for the betterment of mankind. All right, Thanos. Just loot the bodies after they're dead. You they know, were too carry much it with them. We had to get rid of them. Oh, man. <laughs> Damn. Some, of us, some Damn. of us would say that might be, you know, chaotic evil. It, yeah. it, might, it might spawn that kind of way. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I just love them. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's it's all right. That's that's about what I say every time I remake the universe. <laughs> whatever. Whatever. <laughs> uh, to go back, yeah. Honor, shame was Titans. Guilt, innocence was warlocks because that's very akin to uh, the Bushido code with the concept of guilt. Um, mm-hmm. And then power, fear was hunters because <clears throat> they are <laughs> they are they know they they view the world in terms of uh, hierarchy determined by how strong or how powerful someone is. And that is included in the control of resources. So if you ever watch Hunters, like the dialogue within Hunters, um, they, they always note where someone is in a hierarchy that only they understand. So like there's there's the whole there's the whole thing with like the cloaks, right? You know, the the cloak is kind of a symbol of where the hunter stands in their society. You have the Vanguard Dare, which is something that only the hunters do. And, you know, there's a lots of reasons for that, but it is a unique component for that that classification. And that fits into the concept of the dichotomy between power and fear. Similar to the guilt and shame with the warlocks. Uh, guilt shame cultures tend to focus more on deductive reasoning, cause and effect, um, and every issues are perceived as black and white. Uh, communication is usually direct and usually can be blunt, Asher, and written <laughs> contracts are viewed as being paramount. So like Ikora on the, the 12 books about circles, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the concept of writing things down and putting it into writing and keeping it, keeping it permanent and uh, deductive reasoning, cause and effect, you know. That's very warlock-like, um, and so then with a, type as a non-deadly player, what I'm hearing is that warlocks are extremely logical and straight. While y'all operating, fight, yeah, pretty much. Response. Uh, okay. yeah. I mean, it's it's more like so. Like the the full description of the power fear is uh, usually it's a culture that in which people assess those around themselves and know where they fall in line according to the level of power. Um, and really the predominant thing that sways the decision is where in that hierarchy the person who is either requesting or commanding them to do something um, is or what they can gain out of that, whether that be a loss in power or a gain in power that will affect them. It's not necessarily the concept of um, 
black the black and white concept of good bad it's more of what it's it's a very much more individualistic kind of culture whereas your uh your guilt and shame or your guilt and innocence culture that the warlocks operate in it's not so much good bad it's much, but it is much more black and white it's much more contractual like you you'll see um if they are in agreement with someone, if they've entered into an agreement or an entered into a contract, they will honor that contract. It's very black and white. They either are going to do it or they're not going to do it. They're very logical in that sense. And then um, the Titans, as part of like the more uh, honor-shame uh, concept, is a culture that tends to be very relationship-driven. Uh, so the decisions that are made in that type of culture are very relationship. You know, every every movement affects this concept of honor shame status it's very very akin to uh the eastern sense of the family status um so every movement within the culture uh will affect where that individual or that individual's group stands within the spectrum of honor and shame uh the crucial objective what's that but also they're all huffled yeah, they they aren't really good at finding stuff, but yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, uh, I mean, I guess they're kind of decent at finding things. I mean, they I did they find f- all the dead ghosts in D one. Well, but you're a hunter. You're not a titan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is true. Um, I know titans are good at finding something. They're good I at know. finding food. That's true. They're, you do. You do. Have fi- you seen fall those <laughs> they're they're good at finding the next shoulder charge more like yeah 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 r1 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 you're good at finding uh, that button uh, i just run i just <laughs> run and do things i just run and i just I'm run glad. And smash i'm glad that we can we can uh, ally ourselves over the the titans who aren't there to defend themselves no um, yes, wipe them all yeah. out but let's just say it this way: if there's ever a titan on the show, they're in for it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the uh, the concept within the honor shame culture is like the crucial objective, where everything else is like you know holding to either a contract or or gaining or maintaining power. the The crucial concept here is to avoid shame and to be viewed honorably by others. So it's very other driven, whereas like the power fear is very self driven. And then the uh, guilt, guilt, um, innocence is very, uh, it's not really any, it's just kind of a, a, an abstract concept of you hold to whatever you've said that you were going to hold to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, but that goes back to green. I was just saying like, there's, there was actually a really interesting correlate or not correlation, but well, yeah, correlation between, um, those particular descriptions of those three cultures and then the worldviews and values that are expressed within the destiny archetypes of the three classes. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you could technically even see, and I did this on the, on the articles. I'm not even going to try to remember how I did this, but I even broke it down by subclass and I could, I could show you the different flavors of those different cultures as being reflected within the subclasses. So, like, uh, the one that I do remember is the Sentinel is very defensive. It's very, very about keeping people safe and keeping people, you know, that's where they gain their honor is through the, the protection of others. Whereas you have, like, your Sunbreakers who gain honor by, um, depending on which type of Sunbreaker, either the mercenaries who gain honor by holding to their contracts or the Sunbreakers who are, you know, within the city who actually defend the the citizens like there's there's a very strong but the the underlying concept 
and this is why I actually really like the kind of the psychology of the classes in Destiny is the underlying the underlying paradigm within each class is very very universal. However, then you have the overlay of those three separate or even four separate subclasses in some cases with like warlocks and technically the Sunsinger. Um, you you see you start seeing the individual differences on how that particular cultural mindset can be applied to the world. And that's where, you know, I would argue that while while every character has access to all the subclasses, as we can see, there are definitely groups or individuals who have very strong affiliations with one particular subclass. Uh, Wei Ning is the one that comes to mind a lot because mm-hmm. she technically she technically did she have the ability. She is the punch, she, punch, punch, punch. Right. She technically could do she she had the capacity to learn how to do Defender. But it was very difficult for her, and she preferred Striker. Like, that's just... It wasn't that she didn't have... It wasn't that she wasn't able. It was that her personal manifestation of the energies that resided within her flowed in that particular that particular approach. And it's just... The, if you look at it from a psycho- psychological standpoint, it's very akin to, like, you know... Uh, the the concept of like archetypes or the concept of even the Myers Briggs you know that personality concept like how those things are the uh, integram that you were you and I have been talking about like mm-hmm. the 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 concept of how you apply your worldview in relation to the world that you are viewing is very akin to that that understanding within destiny and that's actually that's that in and of itself is actually one of the reasons I am so fascinated by destiny is because it seems like there was a lot of thought put into those particular things. Or, I mean, or it could be a glorious coincidence, which also is No, I think they purposely did that. Um, Because whenever I play video games, I always go the evil route because I can't be evil in real life. I drive like a grandma, my hands are 10 and 2, and I do 300 speed limit. So... That's adorable. I kind of, I kind of want to put you in my pocket now. No, I'm, I'm very much a goody too. She's like, I've never been pulled over. I've never had to go to court for anything. Like very straight laced in real life. But when it comes to video games, it's very different because I know there's no actual consequences of going to jail, which I just can't do again. Um, again, again, yes. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I feel like this is a story that we should hear at Guardian Con. Yep. I yeah. feel like this is a let's take Cole out. Mm-hmm. Well, it, was, it was just and holding for overnight. <laughs> it was just it was just the one time, you know, because, yeah, you know, I, I, I did take a frying pan to somebody's head. And I was about to say to someone got beaten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably deserved it because he put my head through the wall of my kitchen. Yeah, so I fell back. Yeah, that do it. Anyways, um, lesson learned: so, don't mess with Cole. No, no, because I'll I'll beat the tar out of you. But um, it, in video games, I usually play a very evil character, and this harkens back to my Second Life days when I would build the simulators. I would also uh, manually play a lot of the NPCs to do like storylines and stuff that I got paid to do and all of that. And I don't even think I could tell you guys the worst scene I ever wrote. Because it's too much for the show. That's how bad it is. But to go on to Destiny, um, mm-hmm. 
I do have a very strong connection with Night Stalker because they are the mysterious ones. Um, I absolutely love the void because again, it's very dark and mysterious and it's a hungry entity that's using my hands to take a whole bunch of souls, which is great. Um, that's, that's your excuse. <laughs> yes. That's my excuse. Yes. Which is great. It's great. It's so fantastic. But here's my, here's my question. Mm-hmm. Blue's mane is a Night Stalker. I want to see what his uh, reasonings for it, it, how it differs to yours after you're done with your Yeah, let let her finish real quick and then I'll... So, I play an XO. I absolutely adore Night Stalker. Like, when I saw the trailer for TTK and there was the bow with the void, not even kidding, I was in my chair sobbing. I was so excited to have a void bow and to be a Night Stalker. Um, And to have the mentality of, I have this weapon that I can take down any super with, which I have been complimented by Crucible Radio for my accuracy with a nice Stalker bow, which is fantastic. Um, just to be able to eat someone's light and just bring them down to just a normal little guardian and just crush them into the freaking ground. Yes, just eat the arrow. It's just fantastic because I love it because it just feels like such a mighty hunter when you do that. And as an EXO, you're a robot. You're not even organic. There's nothing organic about you. But to command the void to take down your own kind as a guardian and just tear them open and tear out the light and eat it in front of them is just fantastic. Sometimes you yeah. made a good cackle. Yeah, yeah. But that's why I like Night Stalker so much. And <laughs> <laughs> put a sweet button on the end of it. That's what I heard. I'll scare the p- living piss out of you, but I'm going to put a sweet button at the end of it just to confuse the tar out of you. Yeah! Yay! <laughs> I'm going to oh, eat man. your soul. <laughs> Guardian Con is going to be hilarious. Anyways, so why do you like that, Stalker's Blue? Because <laughs> I don't like people. There we go. That's why we connect so well. Because <laughs> you're like, I'm like, wait, it's a hunter that even for hunters doesn't like other people? Yep, that's mine. I like that one. Yep. Like, much. Uh, Qantas Ray is my spirit animal, I feel like. Mm, just avoid in general. But, I mean, I, I think the other thing for that, too, is the Night Stalkers are uh, akin to kind of... They, they seem like they're the ones that understand more about what's actually going on uh within the world around them not so much not so much as like a warlock like the 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 uh abstract information or inf- or knowledge but um but they're they're much more cognizant of what is actually happening like when you get the description yeah. from Tevis he he calls that out he says you know like why why so many hunters can't do the night stalker is because of the fear that they have of the void it's something that they don't understand and they don't like it makes them uncomfortable whereas the night stalker who who can manifest that uh you know you have that that kind of acceptance of this is the way it is and you know, this is what you have to do in order to, you know, it, it brings to mind the Nietzsche quote um, about hunting monsters. And I believe they referenced that as well um, in D1 about the Night Stalkers, because when they even other hunters are very uncomfortable around Night Stalkers because they are close companions with that void. They're close <laughs> companions. They're close companions with something that 
is both natural and abnormal at the same time. It's something that be, that defies understanding, but is 100% natural. Um, and that's a very uncomfortable thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's that's that whole kind of concept of like searching for knowledge. It's not always going to be the happy, you know, research in the library, blah, blah, blah. And even though that's a gross oversimplification, because you, I mean, you have the void locks, right? You know, your, your right. void walkers are very, very akin to night stalkers in that approach. Um, you know, you, is that's that why, why that's, Bearden, you get along so well. Well, and I was going to say, the other thing is, is like, that's why I have a lot of respect for like the Praxics as, as they've been shown in the lore is because the Praxics, it's not that they, it's not that they disagree with search for knowledge. It's they disagree with the method. They, if it doesn't have application in the war against the darkness, they don't see the point of. I mean, it's it's just fluff, basically. Um, Your fluff. Eh. <laughs> eh. Eh. I have yeah. a bow. I have a bow of darkness. I don't really care what your your opinions are. Like <laughs> that's why we get along. <laughs> But I mean, and and so that's like, to me, to me, it's more about like the Night Stalkers definitely tend to seem or they, they seem like they are much more concerned with actually doing something um, than I might, I, I'd argue almost in any other class. They're the ones that are going out, like the Hunters are already the scouts. They're already, you know, out in the wilderness. Um which is why, like, I respect what the Titan, the Titan orders. I respect what they profess. Um, but again, that's why I kind of impartial to the firebreak is because again, they they kind of take that and they're like, no, the best defense is an offense. Like, you know, the the it's not just, and I I don't want to, it's not cowering, but it's not just building walls and staying behind them. It's actually taking the fight to your opponent, and so the hunters already kind of have that as an archetype. And then the Night Stalkers seem to almost push that even further because they are the ones that, you know, like with Qantas Re, she has to be constantly reminded to come back to the city to regain her humanity or regain right. that sense of civilized uh, discourse. And uh, I think Kate even makes a comment about like, you have to reach out to her. Like Tevis was the same. You have to hunt, like you have to hunt her down and make them come back even for a short period because otherwise you don't know what will happen you don't know if they'll just not ever come they, they, they're 100% comfortable just doing whatever they're doing they don't require that that social uh, contact or context that so many others seem to and that that to me that speaks a lot to me because I'm very similar to that I, I get that I get told that a lot I don't really require to be around people I'm just as happy mm-hmm. being by myself as I am actually I'm happier being by myself than I am with other people. And so mm-hmm. to me that's that speaks out quite loudly. Um so yeah, it's not it's not any like nefarious thing necessarily. It's actually more the social cons or the social construct of them. It's interesting because everybody has their there's the archetypes, but everybody has their own interpretation as why they choose that archetype oh, yeah. or why they relate to it. Um in the psychology realm, how does that is that just a really common thing when it comes to talk, when you talk about personality or talk about archetypes of heroes and whatnot? I, I mean, I think so. I mean, I, I'll defer to Josh, but I think archetypes are exactly that. They're they're archetypes. They're not going to tell you the individual qualities because I mean they're not designed to 
in a way. Um, they're kind it's of not like, they're summaries. Um, astrology or anything. Well, and even I mean, technically, if you get into astrology or astronomy, you know, the astrological signs and zodiac and all that, even that technically doesn't tell you individual stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it it details very general properties of personality, which is why it's so popular. Actually, um, it's very hard to read. You pick any sign from the zodiac, and you can probably figure out a way to fit it to you to you. Um, I mean, there's there's some like there's some extreme cases in which that's not true, but for a vast majority, you could probably fit at least a quarter to half of the zodiac descriptions to any one person. Like they're they're written to be general, um, which is why a lot of people you know kind of mock them is because it's it's more about the self exploration, um, and same with archetypes. Archetypes. As far as I'm aware, I don't think they're designed to to like nail down the individual on a specific point. I'll, I mean, I'll definitely defer to Josh on that, though. Um, my understanding well, I mean, was, lot, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that type of stuff. It's just it's just about a very general idea. Um, like Carl Jung talks a lot about some work on dream interpretation, and that's where a lot of talk of archetypes comes in. Um, but like the the thing about like interpret in uh, analytical context or or anything like that it's it's interpreting according to what that symbol means to the like there isn't like there's all sorts of things about like oh if you have a relationship with that person or you're falling out you're gonna lose a bunch of money or something i don't know but mm-hmm. like it's like there isn't necessarily a definitive idea or any mm-hmm. of that it's all about how the dreamer is responding it's coming from them so you have to get it's the same kind of thing with like like you mentioned astrology it's the same kind of thing with like tarot cards too yeah mm-hmm. yeah um, i was just doing some research on tarot actually for the invitations yeah. like a, a good tarot oh just huh yeah yeah <laughs> i might be losing my mind but no oh, might be a good reason i don't have one <laughs> input from the mm-hmm what that means the yeah. one time that i did a terror um the yeah. i don't know the lady had strong feelings about her need to go back to school and was seeing all of that in the card so that nothing but she got a lot out of it so <laughs> good for her i well, mean then... a lot of them are a reflection of what you're like you were saying they're a reflection of what your desire is at the moment or your greatest fear is in the moment. Right. Yeah. And if you if you read a lot of like the background be- behind like even uh I mean especially modern tarot but even like the esoteric of like the actual history of the tarot itself it 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 actually comes out and says that. Like mm-hmm. your your entire point is the entire point of tarot was actually a self-reflection. It was a tool to kind of help guide that. Um and you know, that's that's a similar to I mean, you see that with Freud. Uh Freud kind of puts more of hard structures on it, which is a lot of a lot of people's problems with him. But the concept is very is very akin to that whole idea of the the individual sees the world. It it's very similar to what we call phenomenology. Uh phenomenological psychology is very, very concerned with that. Um it's the idea that everyone perceives the world from a from a particular stance, and that particular stance is unique and inescapable. Uh, you're never going to get, you're never going to achieve a like pure abstract view of anything because in order to see something, you have to perceive it, and in in giving, and in perceiving, you are 
taking you a stance. You're assigning the structures that are already pre like you pre well, you have to in to order as well. Yeah, like in order to view something, that implies that you are looking at it from a particular point of view. You're never going to get you know the perfect 360 degree uh, God's mm-hmm. view of something. You're always going to have like the, like the rose colored glasses. Right, right. You're always going always to have, have a tint of something. Um, I will say in that and class like i like i i noticed at least when i was playing court in my stats procedural attention when i moved classes then i had to be i started now i want to be yeah sorry you're breaking you're breaking up a little bit there um no you're fine i think you're so you're saying basically to to, i think i i think i caught most of that one uh but you're talking about changing classes in the role-playing games and like how that yeah yeah okay yeah in terms of and and i think part of part of having that feeling of being comfortable with doing that and having a different perspective on the game world had a lot to do with um the kind of action that i want to take mm-hmm. uh, like just just the kind of life experience that i was having in general just forms the way that i wanted to put myself out in game experience well, that was kind of like what cole was saying how she likes to play evil characters because she doesn't do that in real life she can't do that in real life nope just reminds me of um, just those moments when you feel super, super weak. You want to play a big, strong character. Or you want to play a powerful character. And granted, video games and role-playing games and stuff like that, your goal is to eventually get to be a powerful character. That's the whole point. As well as tell stories with each other. But it's the it's the interesting concept of how how is that going to interact with everybody else? And is it more of a desire that you're going to get to that point or is it a need that you're you're fulfilling something that you hadn't had in your daily life are we reaching out to play our characters because we need it to help balance us philosophical questions ish Hmm. i mean i think there's a there's a big part of that involved but i think there's also like i I think it kind of goes both ways um like there's a little like there's a little bit of the um escapist fantasy and wanting to fulfill a need that you're not getting so i don't know also kind of just like a like the feeling of whatever action permeating uh the rest of it. well and i think josh wasn't that also part of what your uh the master's thesis was a little bit was recognizing the parts that were driving the choices um i'm a little bit um because part of the part of the thing with um jungian um personality theory is like Jung's personality types were the, ended up being the basis of the Myers Briggs kind of thing, um, but uh, from Jung's perspective, like there isn't like one personality type for every person, and it's not like you're going to be that same type forever. You just kind of put on different hats depending on the context. So all of the psychological things are part of every. There's just different. Um, there's just a different variety of what becomes dominant, what context. So it's an like so uh, it's a ever changing mixture, really, more than a a static. Yeah, uh, I mean, because I mean, people are people are dynamic, and that mm-hmm. life experience has to change. Right. Yeah. Well, that's kind of uh, green. That's kind of why your our conversation recently with the whole enneagram concept. Mm-hmm. That's where my interest kind of got peaked too, because like I. I see a lot of potential within that particular. That's also why I've, I've been really kind of interested in the tarot, like 
as far as like a guide for self-interpretation, it's very right. interesting because it's completely open to to uh, evolving. Whereas the Myers Briggs, you know, there's a lot of things to criticize with the Myers Briggs. Uh, one of the strongest ones, in my opinion, is that it is kind of rigid, um, which there have been some attempts to try to like fix that, but it's it's not an easy it's not easy thing to uh, it's not an easy thing to break, uh, sadly. But um, I think that's I think that's an important thing to consider too. Is that you know similar to similar to the way life experiences affect us that you know it just needs to be recognized that that does actually it does change people um yeah i don't know where i was going with that well there's the whole we're we're role playing or we're playing our characters here but there's also the whole concept of character building and writing the fleshing out a story and cole had to um step away for a second her computer kind of crashed on her so hopefully we can get her back in here to talk about it because developing a world where and i'm sure both well all three of us or all four of us um blue included can talk about the concept of developing characters for a, a, a like a D campaign mm-hmm. or that just you're world develop- in general yeah right you're developing multiple characters and multiple stories or at least opportunities for stories because that's the whole point of your NPCs. And I think from a tabletop, I think that's the important thing for a DM to realize is that you're not writing a story. You're creating a world in which people can act, Um, Mm -hmm. which is what is is the awesome and infuriating part about being in a tabletop game. Uh, Whereas like a video game, it's very, you know, bop 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 you have this yet that you have this to do this and to do that to do that like you can you can have quote-unquote side quests and everything but really honestly it's very linear as far as like even skyrim has a very linear gameplay when compared to like tabletops because at the end of the day you have a main mission like you know they can they can pretty it up as much as they want with everything um with open world and all that but even the open world has limitations, whereas the tabletop, your limitations really are your players' imaginations, which, like I said, as a DM can be endlessly infuriating. Um, and if you don't understand what I'm talking about, just go watch Critical Role, uh, because it happens all the freaking time on that show. Yep. Mercer, Mercer, or Matt Mercer, who is the DM, who is an amazing DM, has like he's gone on record saying that he's made like these just complex storylines. And then they get sidetracked by killing a goblin. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like random. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Smash it with a hammer. Um, like, it's press just. digitation. It's, it's just hilarious. Oh, God. Press digi- Oh, my God. That. So Josh, many problems can jo- become a thing. Well, so there's a story about one of the games that we played with my wife. She was playing. Was she playing a paladin that was obsessed that with. Right for yeah. Well, the. Oh, the yeah. Oh no, no, she wasn't a paladin. She was a what was she? She, yeah, was, she was a, a paladin. Was she, she a paladin? paladin? Was that the one? So, <laughs> Goddess of beauty or something. <laughs> <laughs> she was obsessed with keeping her armor clean, and so my I was playing the rogue, and then uh, we had another friend of ours playing a sorcerer, and both of us had the press dissertation spell. And we literally, and it was like a, it was a uh, cantrip, so it costs nothing to cast. 
Uh-huh. We literally, the entire time, made, a, made, mag- dirt on her. Ma- made a magical smudge right in the oh, middle of her armor. No. So her character was God, constantly distracted. <laughs> this is why GMs can't have nice things. Josh was the GM. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Blue's a troll. Yeah. Oh my god. No, sorry, Blue's that troll. I never would have <laughs> that, that was just that reminded me. Sorry about that tangent. Oh my gosh, that was so funny. But uh I don't even know what I was saying with that before that. But no, world building, sorry. No, uh, the thing with world building too is like there's really um when it comes down to it, there's kind of like two big philosophies. Like either you start big and you work down or you smart small, you start small and you work up. Um, and you know, with D and D especially, but with most tabletops, you'll see the ladder of that one. You'll start with an adventure and then that adventure kind of connects to another adventure and that connects to another adventure. And this all connects into a campaign. Um, mm-hmm. that's usually a concept of, and, and there, there are generally speaking, there are going to be, you know, aspects that the DM is aware of going on in the world. Um, especially if the idea is to make a campaign out of the adventures, then there are going to be other things like, you know, and D and D is very common because they have already so many resources that kind of do all that work for you. You have campaign settings like Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, uh, Ravenloft, you know, any of these, they have basically books and books and books that are explaining, hey, if you want to start at this year, this is what's going on that you can fit into your game. Um, you don't have to, but it does most of the work for you. Whereas with like video games, uh, Destiny is actually a prime example of the former. Uh, I've said this quite a few times, but Destiny 1 was really about building the universe. And now you see in Destiny 2, they're ratcheting in the focus onto individual characters. And that's kind of the, that's kind of working from the big point of view into the smaller point of view. Um, and if you're, if you've never had to do that, uh, I, I really urge people to go out and just kind of use that as a thought exercise if they haven't, because it's both, it's revealing and it's also really, I, I think it's just a really good exercise. Um, but you start realizing just how much thought goes into any of these any of these things that we enjoy. Um, there's a lot of thought. I mean, spoiler alert, there's a lot of thought that goes into creation of any video game. And it's, I mean, especially from a story point of view, not just, I'm not just talking mechanics and balancing. I know that's kind of a sensitive subject today, but like, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, yes, that is immense. And I don't mean to detract, but from, from a story point, you know, world building regardless of which approach you're going to take, it does require a lot of forethought that, you know, quite honestly, we're probably never going to see. Uh, When you play a tabletop RPG, you know, as a player character, you're you're really in kind of 100% control of where the story goes, whereas the DM is most of the time, they're going to be in control of how the environment reacts, but it's much more reactionary. It's not a very proactive thing. Other than, you know, the very initial hook that that's about all the DM really has. I think, in my opinion, that's all the DM should have as far as a proactive piece. Everything else in the DM's point of view should be reactive. Now, there's there's like precautions that the DM can take again that are behind the scenes that influence things that give flavor. But in my mind, a good DM, a good role playing game, the, the on a tabletop um 
you're going to always have a DM that's good thinking on their feet. Like that's, they're going to react really well. Whereas with a video game, the player is reacting. It's a, it's a flip of that. You are, you are in a story that is being told to you, even though it may feel that you are experiencing that the story has been laid out. The, the story has been already, you know, the people who are writing the story know where it's going to end. Whereas with a tabletop, you have no freaking clue where it's going to end because you can meet Bo, Jan- Bo, Bo Jangles, the goblin who you were going to kill. And then you end up rolling a one and you end up caressing him and he becomes your best friend Yep, that we ended up killing anyways. But, you know, that wasn't that wasn't the point of that dire that tangent. So I mean, you are still I'll playing with critical fail. That's fun. Oh, God, I never I don't. Josh, you, there, you can play. You can play without critical. I have never even thought about that. You that, just don't that have takes, as that much. takes all the humor out, right? I go to push the I goblin mean, off the cliff. Instead, I oh, lightly, me, I lightly caress him. Everyone oh is God. uncomfortable. I mean, sometimes you just need to do kind of lighthearted things like that because <laughs> oh yeah, like you, you the party encounters some kind of weird, creepy demon thing in a crevasse and. <laughs> Someone decides to to feed a couple goblins to it. Listen, and, that's still like, that's not no. part of the option. <laughs> well, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> well, we had these goblins and they needed to get rid of. I was like, I'm like, even for my character, that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that one. Oh Listen, man, be careful! Be careful selling your soul, kids. It it tends to it tends to go bad. Uh but that one's also super fun. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. Again, though, that's the fun in games, right? Is we get to we get, and I think that's also kind of where you get the the connect. You know, we've kind of been talking about that too. But that's where a lot of the strong connection to characters, I think, comes from. Is you know, role playing one of the one of the big things with role playing is that it it encourages people to experiment. Uh, it encourages people to try things that maybe they don't feel comfortable doing in reality, uh, which is you, you see a lot of that in today's world. Now that the kind of the pariah of role playing has been kind of disbunked, which is thankfully not, it's more, it's more uncommon to have someone who's uncomfortable with role playing now than it is to have people who are aware of role playing, which is not always the case. But with that, with that, kind of paradigm shift we also see an increase in using role playing as a way of coping with stuff like it's a way to teach people how to to be social you know a lot of schools will actually have rpgs in a sense to to educate kids on what to do in this situation you know it's it's just that that again that it's a safe environment classes right it's a safe environment in which you can kind of push the boundaries of what you're technically quote air quotes here allowed to do or expected to do in a social norm. And you can safely experiment those, those boundary pushing without really having any strongly significant like reality consequences. I mean, I'm not going to say there's not consequences, um, but there's nothing like you're not going to go to jail, you know, for doing something in an RPG that mm-hmm. you that are that is illegal you know uh world of darkness is a huge example of that entirely because with the vampire the masquerade werewolf the apocalypse you know those those types of games are, are built around the concept of a a very it's not dystopian it's just a world that is very very 
um, broken. Very political world. Yeah, vampire, vampire the Masquerade is very political. So werewolf, is werewolf, depending well, on the DM. It depends on, yeah, well, it also depends on which clan you go with. I mean, it can be, right. it can get there, but, I mean, Vampire vampire the Masquerade is is 100% political. Um, Mage is, you know, that, that entire, that entire world, I really, I actually really enjoy World of Darkness. Um, Bloodlines 2 looks amazing on a random tangent. Um, but you know, World of Darkness is there, and then you have you know like Shadowrun. That's a that's a whole different ball game. Uh, Ravenloft. You know all these all these Call of Cthulhu, all these darker themed RPGs were they they are built they're built with the intent to put you in a situation that is a not realistic and b it's also not expected for you to respond as if you were the person you are. You're not you're not. The player you are the the character like those types of rpgs really push that uh whereas D, you can kind of you know fudge your way where you can keep your your personality in in the player and the character in you know ravenloft and in in shadowrun especially uh there there is no room for that you have to embrace that that paradigm and i think those are really fun because it forces you out of the shell of normalcy and it mm-hmm. makes you it makes you kind of break your it's again it's a thought exercise in breaking your your natural tendency to view things a certain way. I I agree with that. Beard, have you ever done any tabletop game? I mean, D and D, Warhammer, uh, at least those. Uh, oh, Warhammer is yeah. Yeah, I gotta say War Warhammer Warhammer forty k. That's uh, this is a good old pastime right there. Yeah, that's wholesome um, fun, right? Yeah, it's completely wholesome fun. I totally all the all the amounts of how how often do the do the dark elves overtake the everything? Ring the pain bell. Oh, good grief! Uh, how many how many times do I have to get blood for the blood god? Oh god! Uh, I I feel like every time I go to play something with Warhammer 40k, it's just gonna be Zeech was here. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I played a whole ton of, uh, I, I did like a whole, I have done a whole ton of D&D campaigns at least. Uh, I have quite dabbled in and no longer own my sets for, uh, Warhammer 40k. Uh, but D&D was always, was always a great time. That's for sure. Chatting about Grimdark? No. No chatting about Grimdark. <laughs> it's no. so much, it's so much fun. <laughs> I don't. A, I've never played, so I don't understand. Well, and B, I just I mean, know how much it's going to be dude, a freaking tangent. But you played, you played you World just... of Darkness, though, right? No, I haven't. Oh, you have. Oh, you have. Oh man. Uh-uh. Oh, that's so sad. Uh, <laughs> like that. That's so sad. Like World of Darkness. I've never. I. I've never played Warhammer. I. I know about Warhammer. I've never played the the tape. Because first off, Jesus criminy, that is a large investment of time and money to actually play that particular tabletop version um, and one move can take possibly an hour yeah yeah I, yeah it makes it makes axis and allies look look fast-paced uh it which... makes chess look like a kid's 
toy. Yeah, it's re- like well, and, really the and amount then you, of like annex and tactics and strategy. Well, and then you have the different that. maps that everyone. Oh my god, no Warhammer! It's Ugh. it's fascinating. Like it is really mm-hmm. cool to watch, but I don't have any interest in playing. Like I I I love the level of detail that Warhammer enthusiasts put into their work, but mm-hmm. then you get them talking and they kind of scare me. Um, which yeah. I, I completely recognize if you're going to be putting that level of detail into that, you are going to know the first and last name and the personal history of every single character you have. Like that's right. Completely. Co- I'm completely cognizant of that. Um, but yeah, like world of darkness is, is a, it's a different flavor of the same dish. It's grim dark, but it's a, it's a much more, um, I wouldn't say it's more political. It's, it's a, it, it, it's a different it's a different flavor like it's a different aspect of that same genre um, right you have call of cthulhu uh ravenloft you know all these different ones uh slay industries was an indie title that i loved back when i was really heavily painting the t- uh, tabletop um those are all kind of based around that that concept of grimdark and grimdark really the fascination i have with it is the concept of again that thought exercise of okay hey what would this be what would this world be like you know you kind of see that with destiny uh division anthem is along that same concept the reason i like destiny is because there's an underlying tone of hope uh i've, I've kind of talked about that before that's that's actually why i can't get into division was because from the very beginning division was kind of presented as without hope um and yeah, I just I just kind of turned me off. Um, yeah. But with like Anthem, I, I haven't gotten into Anthem enough to kind of get the feeling if there is that 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 underlying tone. It seems there like there is. Enough, there, no, I don't. So, Beard, I know you played a little bit of Anthem. I played mm. through most of the campaign. Have you made it all the way through the campaign? No. I actually stopped playing Anthem because I didn't feel um, that drawn into the stories or the mm-hmm. missions. And that's something I feel the exact opposite with. The missions in Anthem felt inconsequential inconsequential okay. to a lot of there things. Were, there is no Even, weight. There is actually a ton of weight to some of it. It's just I, the way they did it because you are constantly put in a group of four random people that you don't end up talking to most of the time. Because you're always matched in. You're always match made. You never mm-hmm. play a mission solo. So you don't develop that solo personality except through the relationships with that you have with the other NPCs. And those are those are kind of cool, but there's less choice when it comes to that than there appears to be. They do give you um, options of dialogue of what your character says, but it doesn't seem to have that much weight on anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Which, but it's about as good as what they did in the old Republic MMO because it all true. leads to the same exact end and exactly. it doesn't matter whatsoever. Exactly. And that's something that I think Mass Effect kind of does that too, doesn't <laughs> I was it? I just about to say that. So <laughs> Mass Effect, you get to, at least. You get to choose the color of the explosion. Oh my god. Yeah, with three different color <laughs> endings, because a game that's coming out that is not relevant to anything here oh, is yeah. making that joke. Uh, the 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 big thing about Mass Effect's angle, though, even though they all kind of like group together, at least in some ways, they take 
slightly branching paths or slightly mm-hmm. branching means that they that they can go. Uh, like, of course, the, the the good old saying, you know, renegade for life or, or you know, paragon, right. whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least they have that. And e- even if I were to look at, like, the choices that you make in the Old Republic, even if I were to choose, like, the good or the Jedi side of everything, if I were on Sith, it literally doesn't matter. It literally makes no difference. What and when about... I started to see most of that same thing happen with Anthem, I was mm-hmm. like, I'm out! The set! Yeah. <laughs> it's a false... A false it's... development of story. Yeah, it, it, it's a false means of giving you control, is yeah. what it basically comes down to, which I, I enjoyed having those options through the early days of Dragon Age, and I felt that they were more... Uh, consequential or had more impact with Mass Effect 1 than they did in probably the rest of the series, uh, except for some like character interactions and whatnot, I think, in Mass Effect 2, uh, and to a smaller degree in 3, because 3 was just a mess. Uh, so what about... The... Sorry. I was just going to say, you have... You have that one. You have that style that we are all just like, ugh, we wish they would have actually given you consequence. What about yeah. games like, I think you said Nier had a lot of different endings, as well as uh, mm-hmm. Fabled. Talk about an older game. Fabled had, that series had basically two endings. Right. And your choices seriously did matter. And it mm-hmm. was weighted heavily on the story. But I mean, except for the fact that you could easily do the changeover from like good to evil in 30 minutes absolutely yeah but it felt like your your um your impact on the world changed was a direct change depending on your answers it wasn't just i mean yeah what one one ending you're you're amazing and you turn into a king the next you're thanos yeah basically there's there's no middle ground in that respect and i can totally and completely understand that angle but Weight? Nothing in Fable had weight. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. seriousness. I, uh, I never. You could. I, you could totally eat uh, the chickens. I mean, chasing the chickens around and then—that's <laughs> how Didn't I made. Didn't they attack that's you? How, no, that was that was uh, that's, Zelda. That's but Zelda. You, no, I was gonna say, are you the, the uh, cocos here? No, we're no, no. Have an entire conversation. The, about the way that I made my character evil to get one of the achievements on Xbox was you keep eating the baby chicken. Like you keep going to buy it, and it keeps like it's like the most incremental thing. But I was <laughs> yeah. like, I didn't want to go and like slaughter entire cities for this achievement. So I was like, oh, so okay, eating a baby chicken. Yeah, that's completely acceptable. That's as about as evil as you get, huh? No, no. I mean, uh, in that game, I couldn't. I yeah, yeah. In that game, there was a lot going You're on. You're a paladin that I was like, through and through. <laughs> oh my god, I don't. I'm kind of offended. I know you play rogue too. That's the funny thing. Are you a really like not like stealing things? Or are you Robin Hood rogue? <laughs> Josh, do I steal things? <laughs> are you? Oh God, I'm sure you have a backpack, a giant freaking backpack. Are you like the my cabbage own, collector in Skyrim? Own, I'll put this: like my own party is not safe for me when I play my rogue. <laughs> like, oh, that's a shiny mine. Look, you're not looking. That's mine too. What's that, Josh? Josh. One time he stole a tub of lard. That was hilarious, and it totally Why? paid off at the end because I could. 
And it did hey, you slice you know, the floors so they everything trips? So, Please tell me so you buttered the turned, floors. I want to know if turned, you buttered the floors. It turned out that it was a never empty butter <laughs> jar of oh, lard. No. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. And then we found I sure. wasn't that was that how I got the griffin? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I don't think we ever got to do anything with it, but yeah, there was a there was an item of wondrous power inside the lard. <laughs> oh my god look talk about adapting it as a lots gm of fun. oh josh <laughs> josh is amazing at adapting as a gm i'm not gonna ever say anything bad about that my goodness yeah good times okay how do we segue back into character choices character development character i mean to be fair that was that was a lot of character choices on my part Right, choosing to troll your GM. <laughs> endless, endless. I'm pretty sure I entertained my GM more than I trolled him. I trolled my other, I trolled the other players continuously. Right. They also figured out that's why you don't play a game with me on Roll20 where they can't see me chatting with the GM the entire time. Oh, God. Um, You're wanting to start a campaign there too, aren't you? beautiful. Oh, no, I don't like Roll20. I like Arpol. Arpol is a different... That's play by post. Um, okay. But like, I think, I mean, that's, that's again, I think that highlights for me at least why I love RPGs is because RPGs are much more friendly to that kind of, um, that silliness, but also kind of unique creativeness. Um, they, they kind of, they really promote it more than anything because that's where, that's where a lot of the RPGs, at least tabletop RPGs, that's where they get the, um, the, in infamy or the 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 rapport with the player base mm-hmm. um is because the good ones will allow you to do those just like crazy harebrained theories you know D D is one of the ones that as you get more powerful it actually in in a lot of cases Restricts i think you. well no actually i think D D if if you're familiar with uh if you're familiar with the system, um, which 5e does a lot better than 3.5, as much as I love 3.5, um, you, <laughs> you have to, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to completely disagree with you. Um, there, there, you just like 3.5, you had to be very intimately familiar with the way things synergized. Um, I, I'll say that, uh, 5e is much more forgiving for people on that, on that front. But like what I was going to say is like D&D is one of those games that as you get more powerful, it actually can get more fun because you start like you start you stop worrying about um, the mechanics and you start more focusing on like the the story mm-hmm. and and like what is going on, you know, with the world and all that. And especially if you have um, if you have like a great GM, which we we thankfully have always had in one form or the other, um, they they promote that and they encourage it, you know. And I think that's to me that's where I've always found a lot of enjoyment out of those. Whereas with like linear first person shooters, it's kind of <laughs> kind of more difficult. Um, it's not impossible, but it is a little well, bit more difficult. So I I kind of know the answer for this, um, but. For both of you, tabletop is obviously a lot easier to immerse yourself in some respects, but is there any character on any other gaming platform or gaming type that you really felt connected to 
like what made that character the one that you chose as like this is this is somebody I can really enjoy uh, role playing as or being or participating as them in the world. Josh, do you want to take that one? Uh, well, for me, I mean, like my my main character, my EverQuest, uh, his name was Ember, and uh, was I don't like he like I don't know. Part of it was just the the like the community that uh, I had with my guilds, being able to. I don't know, really get in sync with, with other players in terms of play style and um, getting really good at at the skills of crowd control and being able to respond to what the rest of the party needs and feeling kind of masterful at that. Like, there is that kind of player experience of that kind of feeling, but then also, like, I guess that kind of um, fed in the headcanon that I had for character from and goals within the world were um, just by having that kind of mastery of the play style. Um, and that that's that's always kind of okay blue what about you oh um so like i I don't know like to be honest i find it really easy to get into a lot of the rpgs that i i play on uh consoles Mm -hmm. um skyrim or elder scrolls is definitely like one of the ones that it just it makes it really easy because it's that it's that open world aspect um but like no man's sky was another one where it's uh it's just again that one actually is super easy to get immersed into because there is no like there you wake up and you're like your character doesn't understand what is going on um so it's a lot it's actually really really close to what you're feeling you're like i don't know what's going on i don't understand what any of these alien species are saying and that's exactly Mm -hmm. the game that you're you're like half the game is trying to figure out what is going on um i really i that's one of the reasons i really like that um you know like like we were talking about i'm i'm playing through tomb raider right now um as far as like immersing it you know obviously aside from the gender difference it's kind of hard because it's a third person view um and I, I I don't know, like for some reason, third person view really to me just makes it 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 makes the suspension of disbelief really difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, most 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 of the RPGs, <laughs> most of the RPGs, I just I naturally will get into that that mode of thought of like, okay, so what's going on? Where where's where's this going? You know, all that. I just I kind of do that. I don't know. I know that's not really a great answer, but. That's okay. How I just Lara. go for it. go for it, Josh. How is your experience as Lara? What do you what What do you? Oh my god! Okay, so yeah, so and Josh, you and I have had this conversation about actually the first couple games. Um, they have done an amazing job with this remake, this remaking, and kind of reimagining of the series. Uh, I I just I'm constantly blown away by some of the stuff that they they make you feel emotionally um because like with the first game you really get to um you experience the development of laura's uh character from like an innocent into the care or into the beginning of what would be the tomb raider right and now and and i think we're in the third iteration or third title right now um you know, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. She is much more hardened. She is much more the 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 uh, the stereotypical Tomb Raider that you imagine when you talk about mm-hmm. Tomb Raider. And but what's cool is through that entire process, you have been 
you have been at all those instrumental steps. Whereas before you just kind of got introduced to Laura Croft, uh, after she has already kind of matured. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I love it. I, I mean, I love it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I feel like, like, especially with the, the first, Oh, the first one, game, like it the, was a lot of, like, oh I, like I, I love that game so much because I, I connected so well with Laura because it was all just like a, this constant rush of anxiety just running through the damn jungle and like hiding from bears and people <laughs> and bears, the bears and like creepy weird zombie <laughs> like, like, there was a lot of feeling for that and 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 like i feel like even with those kind of like focus perspective kind of um games where you're where you're embodying an already established character like i feel like that did a good job Mm-hmm. It did, and the the high of that first title was when you finally did actually get the first kill, and you see Laura like you you actually are are seeing her reaction psychologically to it, like mm-hmm. it's legit. Almost, I mean, I'd almost say it's PTSD. Like it, it's she legitimately does not want to hurt others. But she's put in like this impossible situation and it's just like, you know, again, that adrenaline that's just like everything just kind of culminates and then it's just, you know, a snap of a a decision and it's just, oh my gosh, that still sticks with me is that whole, that whole scene. And then, you know, the second game, she's much more, she's not, she never, I would never say that she, even in the, in this one, I would never say that she's a hundred percent comfortable with it. Um, but it's like you definitely see the development of her character from that first title into this title. And I just, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. Um, and I think that's, you know, I was saying that before we started recording, I think the, the increasing graphics, the more realistic graphics, the cutscenes are freaking phenomenal. Um, but it just really kind of, it, it, it really pushes that connection with the player. Uh, even, even though I wouldn't say I would technically embody her, it definitely is mm-hmm. much more like, um, it makes me remember. It makes me think of Assassin's Creed Two, if that okay. makes sense. Like with the yeah, Ezio, with the Ezio arc, like that mm-hmm. emotion, that emotional connection of watching the story unfold was very. Well, that's what. That's how we watch movies and stuff like that. Right, you right, right. Immerse yourself in it. Right, and so yeah, that was that's that's very that is very akin to what I am what I have started to feel towards the current iteration of Tomb Raider. Is the, okay. the similar emotional connection? I would never say that I embody them, but I I enjoy the watching their character evolve over time, and you actually okay. get to see that evolution. Nice, Beard. What about you? With do you find it's easier to slip into any of the character, like any console character or any game character, more readily than others? I mean, of course I do. I enjoy ripping and tearing things very much. <laughs> I'm learning so much. Um, yes. Do go on. Well, you know, Doom is one of my for, favorite pastimes. But do you so. do it for Infinity? Uh, why? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. Uh, so yeah, the moment that they announced Doom 2016, I kind of went, you know what? I don't remember what Doom 3 was. I didn't like Doom 3. <laughs> Doom 3 was not fun. In the least. But the flashlight. Look, stop it. <laughs> Flashlights don't work like that. 
Uh, it's like we had an episode the, where we talked about this. I know. Granted, that was like a year ago. Right. Um, but yeah, like Doom Doom 2016 was one of those titles I had like no interest in because I was like, I already know what they did to this. I'm not even going to bother about it. And then I think it was the Zero Punctuation review that was posted from, from Yahtzee. And he was like, he said all the things that I had in mind. Oh, look, it's a it's a shooter in 2016. Well, I bet we have to go ahead and reload our gun. You don't have to reload your guns. Well, I'm sure that the most of the gore and the violence has been toned in. You can literally rip things in half. What is this, Bethesda? What are you trying to do to me here? <laughs> like, he said all of the things I was thinking. And I immediately started to look into the title a little bit more, and I went, no reloading arena style shooting this feels like old style doom i immediately spent 60 dollars. i was like i'm done this is gonna be my summer and it was <laughs> uh, the smile was... on his face when he said that and you know what doom eternal's right around the corner <laughs> baby right. uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously like just just getting into the character of doom guy like the the way like I've always liked that about silent protagonists, I think, as a whole. Uh, and some of those that even, like, take a, a small flip-flop on you, which I'll, I'll talk about one other in particular from back in the SNES days. Uh, but Doom Guy in particular, I think, is one of those characters that you're like, everything that he does is emotive. Everything that he does kind of just, like, resonates with you because you're, you, you're basically the character. So even if you get your head blown off or whatever of course you see that you get your head blown off because everything goes dark uh and with the the way that he like talks with the characters and whatnot like he's uh or, or quote-unquote talks to characters uh just the way that he handles himself and so on i'm like now nah, that that's that is absolutely what i would end up doing if i had one the ability to stomp hell in the face uh and two an arsenal like that because i probably wouldn't give too many uh, so like, just, just the way that all of that handles, I'm just like, yeah, I, I'm getting into this character probably a little bit too much. Uh, but another character that from the old SNES days, uh, that was a silent protagonist or one of the early ones that I really had like a lot of, uh, a lot of care for was from Chrono Trigger, mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. Chrono Trigger, the main character of Chrono is a mute and you don't necessarily figure out that he's a silent protagonist because that started to be like a, a a common thing in some RPGs. But then it had a twist with this one. No, he was mute. He he. One of his character things is that he was a mute character. So the facial expressions or things that he may do were done not as expression of yourself, but because he was mute. But you don't find this out until you end up doing the true ending, in which you find out, wait, Chrono's supposed to be me, right? But then he gets frozen in time in, in a statue, and it's like, oh, no, he's not me. He's not meant to be me. So, like, all of these little details and tales and the way that they kind of flipped it out on you uh, was very interesting. But, like, the the whole time I thought that I was Chrono. The whole time I thought I was, uh, I was like, what that character was meant to be. And that was what I was kind of, like, emphasize, uh, what I was kind of, like, pushing my, uh, my thoughts and so on onto that character. Because it mm -hmm. was meant to kind of be that way. But then I had, uh, later 
little bit later in life because it really wasn't that long after. I had the same thing happen with uh, a character that was not silent, and that was Solid Snake. Because the way that Snake may interact with the uh, the audience or whatnot, I think it was kind of like a reversal in a way. Like the way that Snake acted uh, towards his fellows uh, over the codec calls and whatnot started to kind of flip on to me. And I started to end up, uh, like I, I took on the persona a little bit of like what they were trying to show as this character and how he was. So, like, my my gameplay style started to be affected by that. I started to be more stealthy, or when times called for a little bit more gunplay, I would institute it, or I would try to hide a little bit more. Uh, you know, whatever he would kind of talk about or do, I would try to emulate in my gameplay while I was, uh, while I was playing. And this carried on throughout the entire series, between MGS1, even as, like, Raiden and everything as well, uh, and then it, it fell back again on uh, how it was with MGS3 and how you were Big Boss. Uh, like, I, I just feel like Hideo Kojima has a very good uh, a very good means of, like, how his character becomes you or that character is you. But it's more the projection of what he wants you to feel uh, while that character's there. Like, I think that's... it. He may not be an excellent story writer. He may not be like a an amazing director, so to speak. But he is somebody that uh, is a a master, I would say, at character and a, a master at making you feel exactly what that character feels. Uh, so I I really do think that there are are several others that I could probably talk about. But like those in particular, I think at least showcase three different times that I've. Uh, been very invested, or at least I, I started to kind of project myself into a character a little bit more, mm -hmm. uh, or connect with them a little bit. But just between between Doom Guy for like the the ravenous killing, which no, I don't have bodies in the backyard. No, I actually <laughs> don't stop thinking into that. Um, and then also with like the way that Chrono is in, in Chrono Trigger, uh, and then lastly with uh, Solid Snake or the characters at all. Uh, I just think that those three showcase a very uh, different portrayal of how characters can be, uh, either ones that you are first person seeing or ones that you are uh, that you are seeing exactly like what it is that they are doing, or ones that you feel like you're supposed to be, but you actually even aren't. Uh, and I guess, God, I, I got to include it somewhere. Uh, the the other one that also took like a bit of a turn over time was Dead Space with Isaac Clark because mm -hmm. in the first one he's a silent protag and you see all this emotive emotion that comes from him just from the fact that he is silent like all of his his motions and gestures are like kind of uh a, a little bit more over exaggerated than they probably would be normally uh and then in uh Dead Space 2 and 3 he's a non-silent protag so he's, he's just talking and, and conversing and everything. But from my experience with the first one, I still feel like I'm Isaac Clark. But I, if I had jumped in on the second or third one and said, I won't bother playing the other ones though, I probably wouldn't feel that way. But the fact that I have that connection still with him from the first game makes all the difference. Blue, where do you want to go with, with this now? I'm, Oh, I'm curious. What about you? Yeah. Uh... Yeah, you don't get to dodge the bullet. I no. mean, 
Okay, so as far as characters, ironically, the only character that I really have felt strongly about while playing has been um, kind of the same as you, Blue, Ezio. I really enjoyed the Assassin's Creed and actually playing kind of as Desmond, even though Desmond doesn't really have much of a hand mm. in the game, is the writing for him is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Until, I, obviously. I yeah. So I enjoyed that a lot, but as far as like role playing or like fitting into the character, it's ironic that we play Destiny so much, but at the same time, I don't. I think the only reason I feel so strongly about the character, my character in Destiny, is because I I role play in general outside of the game. I don't necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's not something I would think about while playing most of the time. But no, that makes Borderlands. Sense. Borderlands was the same way for me, though. I play Sirens there, and I enjoy that archetype and everything, but I don't feel like I am that character per se. It's not until I develop that story with other people that I really feel, I guess, drawn in in that respect. Other games, I don't know. I There's not any that come to mind that are, like, so, res- I guess lasting as far as a response mm-hmm. even um, even with like elder scrolls yeah because even in elder scrolls even though i was the protagonist in a lot of respects and oblivion and whatnot i, no, I'm I guess ju- I, was, I was just curious because like that's that's uh for me that's a uh like a penumbrate uh penumbrate penultimate thank you um instance of like a guided way into uh I guess console gaming for role playing. It's like it, it yeah. sets it up. It sets it up perfectly to it do role playing um, in my mind. So I, I was just I'm, curious. Yes, I would say that. I mean, I spent, I, I did put a thousand hours in Oblivion and Skyrim both. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, I think so. I think I would say that, but I don't. They're in consequential in some right. ways. Because it is one of those, it's a guided story, obviously. Right, right, As far, right, right. in some respects. Granted, you are choosing which part of the story to play at which part. And you can choose to customize your character and be the best blacksmith ever. Or steal every cabbage in the entire kingdom and then release them down the hill in that leg- one city. It is, it is completely such a fun, legit strategy. Fun strategy. <laughs> it is a fun strategy and really pisses off a lot of people <laughs> or confuses the snot out of them. But yes, I would say, but I, yes, I can remember my character name even. Like Cree mm-hmm. was, Cree was my baby. She was my, and I make an iteration of her on any Skyrim or any Oblivion or Elder Scrolls, I guess is the more generalized turn every time i play an elder scrolls game i make a cree and i try to make her similar but i don't know it's more of that's my avatar rather than that's a character i'm playing if that yeah, makes sense fair. yeah no that does to, at least to me it makes sense sorry for the rambly rambly question or, or answer to it because i'm like playing iron banner frantically at the same time oh <gasps> right yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah i don't know i mean i think I think that's probably a good place to kind of start wrapping up. Uh, we're right at the two-hour mark, too. Um, so that's usually a good good time to start thinking about wrapping up if we haven't already. Um, mm-hmm. But I think also, you know, 
I would also encourage slash invite people if they have questions for, for Josh or Cole or any of us, you know, as always to forward us emails or reach out on Twitter. Um, Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get everyone's Twitter handles in the show notes, of course, so that people can, you know, reach out that way if that's how they want. Um, or even if there's like, if there's a particular, I don't really have like any particular question, but like, if you have stories of some, of some game that you really like, you know, definitely let us know. Cause I, I think I'm, I'm not alone in saying this, but I'm, I might be, I'm always on the lookout for like new RPGs, even if I'm not going to end up playing them. Um, I just like reading them because it's, again, it's that creative process that, that thought exercise of looking at how different writers are creating worlds. Uh, and, and it seems like it's a much more populated world, I guess, if you would say, uh, mm-hmm. for that. So I, I just, yeah, if you guys have a particular RPG or a particular tabletop, you know, anything, I'd be interested in hearing about it. I know I would be, I don't know about the others, but send them in. The nice thing about tabletop RPGs is there are so many different styles of the rules and styles of the way you play it. Yeah. Well, my, uh, actually a friend of mine is working on a, uh, he's a writer. He started with, uh, writing books very similar to, uh, Brian Jacques, uh, Mm. uh, Redwall and everything. Uh, but yeah, like he started with writing those, uh, he finished that series up and now he's actually writing a, uh, he, he's getting into technical journals, mm-hmm. but on the side now, he's starting to write uh, role-playing books and nice. guides. Nice. So that's his next step in his technical writing, which is pretty cool. Uh, they both follow very similar similar paths in a lot of rights, so mm-hmm. I, I find it very interesting that he, uh, that he went that way. But he's always been like a super gamer, so to see him kind of following along with that is pretty interesting. So hearing his uh, little bits and pieces for like what he's done with uh, considering for the tabletop and everything, and that he's uh, kind of getting close to the testing phase. I'm just like, well, that's, that's really neat. Like they, they go through the same kind of construction as I would say a lot of video games have to as well. Like they're just the same. And in a lot of rights, like we take so much from them that, uh, that translate into games today as well so very much the if you want to know where everything started like that's where it is as easily a place for you to kind of figure out like where everything began for video games Mm -hmm. i mean aside from the whole fact that uh you know asteroids existed along with like tic-tac-toe and pong (laughs) and whatnot but those don't necessarily count what you don't mean that's not an rpg Hey, they're making a movie about asteroids. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put anything past them. Are they really? I thought so. I'd have to. I have to look. I know. I know. I saw something pop up a while back, but it, I'm hoping that I maybe mean, they. I hope that maybe they realized how silly of an idea that was. It wouldn't shock me at but, all. I mean, I, I. Yeah. Never mind. I'm not even gonna say what I was gonna say because I don't want to give anybody yeah. the idea. But no. No, there are other simple Hollywood games that I would always... expect more than asteroids. Mm-hmm. Hollywood is always listening. Don't give them ideas, <laughs> please. They're you like... never know when Uva Bowl is right around the corner. Are they like the government? They always have you bugged. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's a safe way of thinking about it. <laughs> jo- Josh, do you have any? Do you have any like final thoughts or anything that we didn't get a chance to go over? 
no, I mean, I think we've covered a, a wide uh, range. Um, no, I don't. I don't think I have anything to add. Blue. Ah, I. I mean, I think that's a great, great spot to stop recording. Mm-hmm. These are always fun. Yeah, I like I the relaxed ones like this.